0: everybody, back to the Holistic Savage podcast, where we like to talk about all things related to functional health, including but not limited to functional medicine, functional fitness, spirituality, psychology, nutrition, kind of everything in between. So, you know, this podcast is really a a passion project for me. So we can put, you know, good education, good knowledge out there to, you know, raise the collective vibes, help people find good health information so they can empower and educate themselves and heal themselves. So uh, today, I'm very honored to have a very special guest, Kate Soloviova from Precision Nutrition. Kate, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good, Brendan. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. So, I'm going to set the stage a little bit here because, uh, yeah, I just I have to set the stage. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense where, you know, a, a lot of my followers or People that listen to my podcast, uh, I, I think they kind of associate me mostly with kind of the functional medicine space. But what a lot of my more regular followers know is, is my background is in fitness and nutrition coaching. And I'm kind of one of those, those guys that I really came up through the, the functional fitness and, and nutrition space. And actually, Precision Nutrition Level 1 was the very first certification I ever did. Uh, I, I did my NASM. I did my PN1. I was in the first ever PN2 public class, which I thought was an amazing program. And as I then really steered hard more into kind of the functional lab testing and functional medicine space, in a way, uh, it dawned on me that I felt like I was taking some of my coaching skills and and my background almost for granted. I, I almost kind of assumed like, yeah, everybody has like great behavior modification, client centered coaching skills. But what I've really found as I get deeper and deeper into this space is I think there's uh, a pretty big gap. I think there's kind of a, a, a lot of missing coaching skills that I really feel are perhaps the, the biggest reason why a lot of clients or patients aren't really finding success with some sort of health building program. And further, there's you know so many new kind of certifications popping up in left and right but I've ha- I have so many students and peers that come to me like, well, Brendan, I want to get started in the industry. Well, what do you recommend as a starting point? And Precision Nutrition has always been just my my first recommendation. So, Kate, I'd I'd love to start this conversation by hearing a little bit about what your role is with with Precision Nutrition.
1: Yeah, great question. So I started with. Uh PN a number of years ago. Actually, I found PN as a client, uh, so um, one overlap uh, between probably me and functional medicine or all uh, all things holistic, if you will. Uh, I um, started doing yoga many years ago now, and I really got into it. It ended up probably being my very first movement practice. It was the first thing I've ever done. Uh, very consistently, very intensely on a very regular basis. And I ended up uh, doing my yoga teacher training and teaching yoga for a number of years. I I, uh, went to India for six months to study yoga and travel. And um, it was probably one of the most amazing things I've ever done. But the one downside of that trip is that I came back significantly heavier than I left. Mm. And Indian food and rice and bread and bread and rice uh, were... Not not super kind to me. So when I came back, I really just felt out of touch with my body. Just I didn't feel at home in in my skin. I felt very at home in my mind at the time, uh, but there was that disconnect. And uh, I learned about precision nutrition from a friend, uh, and it just sounded great. It sounded evidence based and sane, and they weren't selling supplements, which I kept looking for, you know, like, what was their shtick, and I just couldn't find it. So I looked into them and ended up joining the program as a client. It's a 12 months coaching program. And it was probably one of the most transformational years of my life. Not just physically, but because I really found precision nutrition has been has been suggesting the approach to health that I perhaps have not encountered before. For example, one outcome of that year, and I lost some weight, I got fitter, I got stronger, I got faster, but one outcome was that I actually ended up in therapy. And that was one of the probably biggest takeaways for me that year too. The one thing PN encourages is to focus on stress management and mental health and social support. And that was a very groundbreaking to me at the time, right? Because I was very much like, what do you do when you work out? You get on a treadmill for 30 minutes, and you sort of count how many calories the machine says you burnt. And then you eat those calories in Twinkies 40 minutes later while drinking Gatorade, right? So uh, it was just a mind shift. So after I finished that year, I um, stayed on as a mentor in that same program. And shortly after I actually came on board as one of women's coaches with my background, my academic background being in psychology. And I was teaching psychology and health at the time at college and university level and teaching yoga. And I was really looking for a career shift. Mm -hmm. So this was really the, the part where I realized after my own transformation, I wanted to help others as well. I I wanted to, to do this health coaching thing. So PN just really came, I think, in my life at the right time. And since then, I have switched uh, from coaching women to coaching other coaches through level two certification, which is our year-long master class. And uh, since then, have uh, switched roles yet again. And now, uh, I kind of joke that my job at PN can probably best described by the new Facebook emoji that you have seen. It's the care huggy
0: yeah.
1: emoji. So I am now uh, the director of community engagement, uh, which really just means I look after all the PN communities uh, for our coaches and. Make connections and build relationships with the coaches and help coaches build those connections and relationships amongst themselves.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Thanks for sharing that. You know I remember in our email thread to set this up, somebody had mentioned something about you know, kind of being the, the queen of the hugs and, and all of that, and I was like, oh, "Ah yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know and, and I love everything you said there, where, for one thing, actually, I was just talking to um, my sister and a client this past weekend separately. But they had both been living in Philippines and Thailand and, and over there and, uh, you know, both very um, health and fitness conscious. But they both were kind of expressing the same thing of, you know, the food availability and, and maybe not uh, like coming back to the States and dropping weight because they had a little bit more um, influence with their diet. But uh, what a transformative experience, I'm sure, though, in, in the amount of mindfulness and kind of inner connection that you probably developed through that
1: yeah it was uh it was amazing and i think india is it's a very powerful country powerful in terms of energy uh usually when i talk to fellow travelers uh folks either strongly connect with it or they strongly do not connect with it Mm -hmm. and i loved it i absolutely loved it just the the vibe of it and and uh the culture and the people were amazing
0: absolutely Well, and so I love, you know, your, your journey with precision nutrition. I can totally see how your, your background is, um, perfect for, um, what precision nutrition is all about. And, you know, to your point, uh, again, since I started my career with, with PN and everything, or at least, um, you know, the credentials, uh, you know, that was just kind of my backbone, uh. But I have over, gosh, you know, I've been doing my thing for like 10 years now. I don't feel old enough to say I've been doing anything for 10 years, but here we are. And I've definitely found that there really is, I haven't seen anything else that, that compares. And what I think Precision Nutrition does extremely well is for one thing, they are teaching, you know, very uh, scientifically sound you know science right they're they're teaching you know textbook physiology biochemistry so you have that strong scientific understanding but then i like how rather than focusing on you know how can we biohack or how can we modulate this pathway or whatever it's like okay that's cool like acetyl coa whatever let's let's look at all that but now let's zoom out like what actually matters how do we actually move the needle how do we change your behaviors how do we uh, change that day to day routine, which is actually going to lead to results. Um, and the the level two program was very unique, and it resonated with me so much because I, I do feel that as a human, I have these kind of qualities of empathy or uh, being an active listener. But I'd never seen some of this stuff put into like a teachable curriculum, um, and that was just mind blowing and kind of game changing for me. And I really believe that skill set is kind of grossly missing today or underutilized. And something that I see in my space a lot is, you know, people, consumers, clients, it's almost like they would much rather, you know, go run a bunch of lab testing to kind of have like something external to self to sort of point the finger at like, uh, you know, it's not really my fault that I'm not getting results. It's because I have this gluten intolerance or I have this you know, infection, whatever it is that that lab test might be suggesting. Um, but obviously, if, if we're not dealing with the, the psyche, the relationship with self, the relationship with food, how are we really going to evoke, you know, lasting change? So I'd love to hear you speak to this a little bit of what your observations are and, and how you uh, empower coaches to be able to implement this kind of stuff in their practice or, or business.
1: Yeah, I think you made a very astute observation just about the style of information that precision nutrition offers. uh, Because I think it is geared very much towards, um, you know, I hate to say normal people, right? But normal people, because again, like you can, you can measure HRV and test your poop. If that's your thing, that's awesome, right? Like high five, you probably live in San Francisco, right? And you go to quantify self meetups. And that's awesome, right? If that's, if that's your um, Thing, it isn't really a thing for probably 90% of the population. And I think the downside is that when 90% of the populations hear about that, it really sounds incredibly overwhelming. Mm. It's where do I begin? Like, should I also be testing my poop? Right. And it's um, like, where do I start? You need all these gadgets and Fitbits, and you know, there are these data trackers coming out of the wazoo right? Like we're plugged in and where the vast majority of us would probably just simply do well by tapping into our hunger cues. For example, right? Like I, uh, I had an exchange with a friend uh, that made me giggle last week um, because uh, she mentioned that she had some of her best sleep after her acupuncture appointment, as uh, indicated by her by her data tracker. So in the morning, her data tracker has informed her that her sleep recovery score was in in the 90s, right? And I said, that's so cool. I actually had some of the best sleep, too, because I had an acupuncture appointment that same week. She's like, oh, like, what did you use? Fitbit? Like, how did you know? And I said, no, subjective perception. You ever heard of it, right? And we kind of both laughed, but um, I think there is something there where the data tracker is like... all the the information that is given to us, at least theoretically, should not really be telling us anything that we don't already know, Mm -hmm. right? Like, ooh, your sleep was crap last night. You really probably don't need a tracker to tell you that, like you know when you wake up in the morning when when you don't feel rested. And I think most folks find precision nutrition through that information that we put out because uh, there is an incredible amount of uh, really well-written articles out there. And I remember at some point, this was way before I even was working for PN because I would look into topics. I, I would Google fish oil mm-hmm. or I would Google, you know, like nutrition for injury or something like that. And the same company just kept coming up, right? Like the PN articles would pop up and they stood out to me. Like the articles stood out because they, they weren't really claiming magic. They weren't promising a bigger butt in 27 days, right? They always included research citations. And I felt that incredibly refreshing. Uh, So I actually went as far as to seek out like, what did precision nutrition say about creatine, right? Like I would Google precision nutrition plus creatine. So I almost um, stopped looking at other resources because I found this one resource that I could trust where I knew that a team of experts looked into this information and uh, wrote it up in in an accessible manner.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, the... Uh- Precision Nutrition blog is legendary. <laughs> like there's there's some amazing articles on there, and uh, some amazing authors and, and figures, guests, you know, guest bloggers and whatnot. So I that totally resonated with me. It's like yeah, that was like my early career. I was just scouring everything I could eat up. Um, and it's funny what you're saying about the HRV and subjective perception because I had somebody just this week telling me. You know, like, oh, my aura ring said that I had a horrible night's sleep. I feel like I slept well, though. And so I kind of poked a little bit at that. I was like, so you feel like you slept well, but now you're kind of judging your quality of sleep based on an external device. Like, that's... Yeah, and
1: I think that is such a great point, because the conversation that I uh, often had, uh, usually with female clients, when uh, the scale is not helpful right? When sometimes they wake up and they've been, they've, they slept well, they ate well, they've been working out consistently for two weeks, they wake up, they feel like a stone called fox, right? They, they just feel great, ready to take on the world. They look in the mirror, they wink at themselves, right? Like, and then they go into the bathroom, they get on a scale and the scale spits out a number of them. And all of a sudden they're their whole stone call foxiness is gone in a split second. You right? know we have that conversation around nothing happened. <laughs> nothing happened between you looking at, at yourself in the mirror that morning and giving yourself a wink and really feeling it mm-hmm. and then stepping on a scale. You didn't gain twenty five pounds between walking from the mirror to the bathroom, right but that subjective number has the power to spoil your entire day. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that we talk about often with clients is what measures, what outcomes are helpful Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and what measures are hurtful. As a rule, there probably should be some outcomes, but I think we very easily default to something like a scale because it's easy. It's much harder to measure energy it's much harder to measure sex drive Mm -hmm. right or how maybe good you feel right like there's a little bit more thinking involved there hey guys i just want to take a moment to thank you all so much for listening to the holistic savage podcast we on the Holistic Savage team all really appreciate you and want to stay connected with you. So please rate, review, and subscribe to help the podcast grow. And if you like the podcast, help get the word out. And now back to the show. Where you can just step on a scale and the scale tells you yay or nay, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's easy.
0: You know, w- w- that reminds me of a time a uh, few years a few number of years ago, I guess at this point, um, when I was still doing some personal training, I, I had a client who, you know, great lady. And there was this one day she came walking in the studio, just beaming. And she was not the beaming type, usually a lot of, you know, emotional issues there. Um, but she was just beaming, I've had a great day, I feel so good. And we hadn't been stepping on the scale at all, you know, as part of her coaching, because we had determined like, it's not serving you, it's, it's kind of destructive. And she's like, I feel so good. I think I want to step on the scale. I'm like, <laughs> are, are you sure? Like, okay, so we go step on the scale, nothing, no change, completely just, you know, and she went from high as could be to bottomed out. Just like that, and so, just speaking to your point of, um, yeah, you know, I think it, it's imperative for coaches to, you know, de- determine the the smart goal and the, you know, what, what measurements are we going specific, uh, measurable, attractive, realistic, timely of, what metrics are we going to use to gauge progress and, um, you know, uh, <laughs> precision nutrition level two curriculum. There's that um, lesson that. That was like steal from everywhere, which Mm -hmm. I I think is hilarious um, and amazing. But I, to this day, have been using, there's like that circle of life exercise that you guys have where it's this beautiful pie chart and it goes over kind of these, you know, physical um, measurements, if you will, and your uh, social life, your work life, your, you know, all, all these different aspects to make up kind of all the areas of your life. And you can shade it in of how satisfied you are. I still to this day use that in conjunction with other stuff like lab testing and whatnot. But I still use that to this day as a, as a means to, to track subjective progress over time because ultimately aren't we kind of trying to improve somebody's overall you know, subjective perception of their quality of life?
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's a great point. And uh, what you describe in the wheel of life is an exercise I use almost with all of my clients when we start working together. Uh, so we can kind of get a sense of the baseline, like, let's take a look at where your wheel is limping. Mm -hmm. And then we talk about where they want to begin. And this is a similar concept to the concept of deep health that we talk about at precision nutrition, that health is not just one thing. Health is not a six pack or muscles or great blood work, but rather it's multiple aspects, right? It's a complex concept that includes emotional aspect physical aspect, environmental, mental, existential, relational. And I think if you talk to anyone who really went far out on one aspect Mm -hmm. of their deep health, they can tell you that often other aspects suffer. Like you ask Mm -hmm. any bodybuilder prepping for a show and ask them how is their emotional health doing uh, in the last few weeks prepping for a show, right? Or how their social... Health is doing. They're not going out. They're not seeing friends, right? Like they're kind of on the edge. They're angry. They're grumpy because they haven't seen a carb in six weeks, right? So, uh, and again, like that's very much the it's worthwhile in that context. But for most people, we are looking to strike a balance of sorts. And, and usually, one thing I say to my clients you can do anything for limited amount of time, like you Mm -hmm. want to burn candle at both ends, because you're working on a launch, or you're working uh, to start your company, or no, let's talk about mothers of newborns, right? Like this is all out, but for a period of time. And there's got to be that light at the end of the tunnel, like there, there's got to be the end. I think um, John Berardi uses the Example of burners like you can't have all the burners going on high all the time Mm -hmm. But rather you dial up and dial down something is simmering something is higher heat What are you focusing right now? And if I have a client that comes to me and we look at their wheel of life and everything sucks everything we still talk about well, where do you want to start Mm -hmm. and if they don't have input and sometimes they don't because everything truly sucks then this is where I suggest to start with the physical health just because it has such an impact on everything else like it's an easy start because in some ways we can we can grab a whole bunch of low-hanging fruit there Mm -hmm. and collect a bunch of easy wins and nothing motivates as wins, like you, 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 just start. Like it's like a video game, right? Like you collect little coins as you run around, and uh, you know, easy wins generate bigger wins, and then you're even more, more motivated to keep changing. Mm-hmm.
0: Man, I'm, I'm having so much fun already because, like. You know, it's not too often I get to talk about all this, all this stuff, because I just heard low-hanging fruit, and I'm like, "Big Kahuna, low-hanging fruit? What do we That's feel right. like today?" You know? And speak. Yeah, I love that. I love that. But I, I do. I think that that Circle of Life exercise is amazing because, yeah, we can really see, you know, what areas are are, are suffering, and we only have uh, so much time, so much energy, so much money to you know, devote to any given aspect of our life. So I I do think it's crucial for coaches and health professionals to, to work with the client rather, you know, than being kind of a dictator, crack the whip sort of thing of, yeah, like you said, where, where do you want to start? And, um, Hey, sometimes they might feel really motivated. Let's maybe try fishing for that big kahuna versus, um, Hey, you know, a little fatigue, a little worn out, feeling a little disheartened. Why don't we pick some kind of low hanging fruit along the way? And something, um, you know, that, that I always found rather difficult, I think we we both recognize today's world is so high speed, information overload, paralysis by analysis, kind of this addiction to instant gratification, which you guys have a great lesson about delayed gratification and the serotonin response and whatnot. But I am curious to hear you speak to, you know, navigating when, you um, I think a lot of coaches and professionals might resonate with this where uh, there's so many professionals that are striving to build their independent entrepreneurial clientele book of business. And I think there's, that's a challenge by itself and enough, just just building a business or building a clientele. But I think there's a, a certain amount of pressure on coaches to like instantly satisfy the client, you know, the client's paying good money, however much per hour, whatever it is. Uh, and of course, the client might be coming in with this sort of instant gratification mindset. But I think a really good coach, it's going to be their job to sort of check that a little bit of like, hey, I understand you want instant gratification. But so, so I'd love to hear you speak to like, how do you work with kind of reeling somebody in of like, all right. Well, we can't just do the instant gratification. We're almost like holding their attention and focus with this more slower intentional behavior modification.
1: Yeah, that's a tough one because I think uh, a lot of clients that I end up working with and a lot of clients that work with precision nutrition in various contexts are coming from the quick fixes. And it can be very difficult to to tolerate slow rates mm-hmm. of weight loss slow rates of weight gain like whatever your goals are when you have previously dropped 12 pounds in 12 days so what can be what can be really useful in those cases is simply talking about their past experience like it's a bit of a motivational interviewing conversation where you ask open ended questions simply to lead the clients to their own conclusion because mm-hmm. as a coach you probably have your suspicions they're working with you for a reason they have done the grapefruit diet the cabbage soup diet the weight watchers whatever else and here they are working with you so i mean Clients are probably not going to come to me if they're looking to lose 20 pounds in 20 days. That's just not my jam. And uh, I think after a while, you establish your own brand, if you will, like folks know what they will find with you. So if you are the coach who is on that longer term behavioral modification train, if what you do is habit based, uh, I would imagine that that is part of your marketing, part of your message, part of your content, part of your initial consult. So it shouldn't be a huge shock to a client by the time they actually start working with you that you're not giving them a severely calorie-restricted meal plan. They should know that already. However, after working with you for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, they might be getting a little itchy because this is the point at which they would have lost five pounds last time they ate nothing but beef Mm. right for 10 days and all of a sudden this is not happening so the conversation i usually have is like well hey tell me last time you were seeing faster rates of weight loss and they will say something like well when i did weight watchers i lost you know seven pounds in seven days and i'll say that's cool and then what how long did that last and they say well um that went on for two weeks. All right. And then what happened? Well, and then I probably fell off the wagon. And I rebounded. And I tried something else a month later. So we kind of have that conversation with them. And notice the difference is there. I'm not telling them that. But I am, but I probably know that story. And I'm asking them the question, to elicit that story from themselves. It really, so from the point of behavioral modification, words have just so much power, so much more power when they come out of our own mouth. So half of the time, my job as a coach is simply asking the right questions that will elicit the the right answers, right? Like I know what I want them to say, um, but I need them to say it. And this is where that little aha moment goes off where they kind of mope a little bit. They're like, I know what you're trying to do. I'm like, what? (laughs) Is that I've been here before and I'm trying something new. And something new is probably going to be a little bit different. right?" And the other example I often use is I ask, tell me how long it's taken you to gain 40 pounds. Because you want to lose 40 pounds. So they talk about, you know, it's taken them six months, a year, three years. Say, cool, it's been three weeks. And so just putting that in perspective as well. But it's tough, right? And part of it is also acknowledging that, hey, I want fast results too. When I want to run faster or lift more, I also find it frustrating that, you know, my muscles do not look bigger after one workout. I think that's incredibly unfair (laughs) of a situation, right? Like I, I feel like they should look bigger and they do not. What the heck's up with that?
0: What gives? Yeah, you know, it's a, a beautiful answer to to what is kind of a you know complex phenomena, and uh, it make, makes me think that movie Inception. You know, you kind of have to hack their mind a little bit and plant that seed, and let let that seed grow into their own unique idea. Um, but you know, part of what I w- was just hearing, there there's a lot to be said of creating and holding a a calm, deliberate, mindful space to open up that dialogue. I I definitely know in in my past, and I see with other professionals, um, there's kind of a lot of uh, monkey mind banter back and forth of like, well, I want to accomplish this goal. And okay, great. Here's how we're going to scientifically make that happen magically. And um, again, that's where, you know, with this explosion of, you know, there's new functional lab tests hitting the market every day. Um, You know, and I have my thoughts and opinions on some of that where I think some of that could be potentially empowering and potentially distracting. Uh, Something that I run into a lot is people coming to me of, well, I want to run this test or that test. And it's like, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what test result says what or how fancy the protocol. If we haven't mastered those fundamental behaviors and developing the, the mindfulness of uh, are you even aware of your day-to-day behaviors and how those might be counterproductive to what you're trying to accomplish?
1: Yeah, the one question I hear quite a bit is, what tests should I run? Which is a silly question in isolation, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's one of those, like, what tools should I use? I have no idea. Do you need a chainsaw or do you need a hammer? Like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to hang a picture on the wall? Then please don't use a chainsaw. Like, it's just unnecessary. It's an overkill, and you're probably going to spend a bunch of money and end up with destroyed walls, Mm -hmm. right? So, when we ask a question like, hey, what test should I run? The client is probably 25 steps ahead Mm -hmm. of where they should be. And this is sort of where my job is as a coach, to take them back 25 steps and sit down and say, let's, let's have that conversation. You want to run some tests? That's cool. Um, let's, let's try and help you figure out what those tests are. Why do you feel like you, you need any tests at all? What are you trying to figure out and say, well, I haven't been sleeping well all right, let's take a look at what sleep looks like. Going back to newborn baby, if there's a newborn baby that wakes up seven times a night, that's not much of a mystery. We don't need a test to tell us that. Um, If you're trying to get a test on a vitamin deficiency, is there a symptom that you're concerned about? And this might be the part where I send you onwards to your medical professional to, to inquire about that, but very frequently, the question is, hey, what are you trying to do first, right? It's not, which workout should I do? What are you trying to do? Which test should I run? What are you trying to do? Right? Should I cut out oranges or bread out of my diet? I don't know. What are you trying to do?
0: I love that. And I'm so excited to release this episode, too, because my business these days Um, is training professionals and practitioners and doctors and stuff on how to how to incorporate testing responsibly Um, because I do I see a lot of there's you know they'll get some education and then do this kind of shotgun of like well the way that I work with clients is I run this stack of expensive lab testing and you know the efficacy is different conversation but then you know here's the protocol retest um, but that's exactly it. Like, I couldn't agree with that more of like, okay, well, why do you want this data? What is this data going to do for you? How is that going to change, uh, either what the professional is going to recommend or what the client then chooses to do? And I loved the, I might have to borrow that about the, uh, you know, the, the chainsaw Well, you're, <laughs> you're going to waste a lot of money and have torn up walls. Um, I love that. And I, I think it's so, so true. And there's a balance with that of, you know, I, I think testing can at times reveal very, you know, valuable healing opportunities. Um, and it, so it can be used as like a coaching tool or a compliance tool to some degree. But at the end of the day, though, that's totally secondary to the day to day behaviors and um, fundamentals. So I, I love how you how you put that.
1: Yeah. So, and I think you said something really, really cool. It's how is this data going to inform my decision-making? I think is, is very important to consider, Uh, right? So, because um, I, I remember doing a 23andMe test years ago now, and there was a section there, at least there was at a time that was asking you whether you wanted to find out, you know, Something, something, Alzheimer's disease, right? It's yeah. like you actually specifically had to agree yeah. to that information. And I paused for a second because I remember thinking, well, am I curious? Yes or no? Sure, I was curious. Uh, I have Alzheimer's disease in my family, so it's very likely that I would have the whatever genetic makeup that makes it slightly le- uh, more likely. But one question I was asking is, if it is a yay then what like what would i do differently and the reason was nothing because i know what the general consensus is currently in terms of preventing alzheimer's disease to the best of our knowledge and what And what it is, it's actually very consistent with preventing any other chronic condition. It's the same as preventing cancer and heart disease. It's regular physical movement. And it's eating mostly a diet of whole foods. And we're kind of back to deep health. Mm -hmm. So I ended up finding it out um, and knowing fully well that it wasn't going to change anything that I was doing. Yet, somebody else could be in exactly the same scenario, and they might have wanted to find that out. And maybe... Finding out that they were more susceptible to a particular condition would have been the wake-up call that they knew they needed because they needed that change in their lifestyle. And if so, high five. Uh, Other folks who know themselves to be the anxious types, maybe that's not the information that would be helpful. Because you don't actually know if you're going to end up with cancer or Alzheimer's disease. I mean, as far as we know, something's going to kill you eventually. <laughs> so which one it is and how many years from now it's going to be. How are you living right now? Uh, and hopefully, like I remember for me, that was a big realization. Um, and that was actually a number of years after I've done the PN coaching where January 1st was coming out. And I had that little itch in my belly to do something because it's January 1st, right? Like, what shall I give up? Or mm-hmm. What kind of detox am I going to try, right? Or what kind of new diet am I going to? And I remember realizing that I don't really want to change anything. Like, I want to wake up on January 1st and do the exact same damn thing I've been doing every single day the entire year before. And that felt incredibly liberating. It felt like, yeah. This is the space where I want to hang out. It feels good. I am moving regularly. I'm eating well. This is good. Like this is, this is deep health. And I'm hoping that, to kind of help more folks get to that space. And when it comes to testing, sometimes, and that's a tough conversation. And This is a, one of those where sometimes coach needs to, to, um, Maybe say it as it is, Mm -hmm. if that's what they see. We sometimes use testing as a way to find that there is something wrong with us. Yep. Right? As a solution. Mm -hmm. Where it just feels much easier to say, well, I feel like I'm not losing weight. Maybe there's something wrong with my hormones. Maybe I have low thyroid. Whatever the heck that means, really. Mm -hmm. Right? So where from the coaching perspective, I've coached dozens of people with various thyroid conditions, whether it's Hashimoto's or you know low thyroid or uh, PCOS, and at the end of the day, exactly same things apply. Exactly same things apply. Sometimes consistency needs to be higher. Mm-hmm. It's true. Where most folks may get away with eighty percent consistency, really just hitting things, you know, eight times out of ten. And for somebody with a thyroid condition, they might need to shoot for nine, mm-hmm. nine and a half, really to get those same results. But they are the same results. But it's hard work. Mm-hmm. And it's much easier to say, well, instead, I'm going to see my doctor, but my doctor didn't find anything wrong with me, so I'm going to go see a functional doctor, an osteopath, and a naturopath, and an acupuncturist, and a nutritionist, and a dietitian, And off you bounce from yeah. one practitioner to the next until you find one who finds something wrong with you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Whoo, yes, okay. We're, we're into it now. I loved the what you were saying about the – 23 and Me and the genetics because I, I did the same thing, you know, I, I did that test back in the day and, and I, I re- Referred to exactly that um, Where you do you have to consent towards like do you want to, to know like what your genetics may or may not you know kind of predispose you to and then um, That informed decision-making of okay, so with this information, how does that change my? behavior or action plan or whatever it is And I love what you're saying about deep health because that's something, as much as I love my industry, I do kind of poke a little bit of like, you know, all the testing, all the fancy protocols don't get you very far without consistent deep health practices. Um, An example that like, so one of the big things I, I work with and educate on is like mold illness. And so we've got these urinary mold toxin tests, which is a great way to either empower somebody or freak them the hell out. Um, you know, because scenario a, you have somebody unknowingly living in a water damaged building, they're horribly symptomatic, they're not feeling well, medical doctors are saying it's on your head. Uh, okay, well, you know, doing this toxin excretion test would be very revealing and empowering If, like, oh my gosh, I knew that it wasn't just me. I knew that there was something else deeper going on here. Like I got to get out of this moldy home. It's poisoning me. But that exact same data in a different scenario could be very misleading where I had an individual who, um, and that's, that's where the technicalities of the testing become very nuanced. Because um, I had another individual who had some of the highest, you know, toxin levels on the test I've ever seen, but was completely asymptomatic. So, you know, is that data, oh my gosh, like, look how sick I, you know, and then they start kind of thinking themselves into sort of an illness. But you made a very important point. That's something I've been blabbering about for a minute now, where I am seeing a lot of kind of this sort of window shopping, bouncing from professional, professional, practitioner, practitioner, just like you said. And it's like, it feels as if they are just searching for that professional that's going to tell them what they want to hear for their own kind of confirmation bias of, no, it's, it's not because I'm not managing my stress or eating whole foods consistently or moving my body or practicing positive psychology. I just need more selenium and, or I need a bump in my Armour or thyroid or, or whatnot. Um, but as you said, I mean, a lot of the deep health core principles that, that would help prevent Alzheimer's or, or PCOS or subthyroid, whatever it is, it, it always gets us back to those, those basic fundamentals.
1: We want something interesting. We want something exciting, right? Like, we want to know that there is, we don't really want to have some sort of weird ass condition, but we kind of do. Like, it's yeah. this very weird, right? Like, I mean, to be told that, hey, you just need to sleep more and eat better is very disappointing. Yeah. It, it's not sexy at all, right? And yet, that's where the solution is nine times out of 10. And I'm a big proponent of. Using the simplest solution, not the most complicated solution, just for the sake of it, so if there is if there is um, a good argument for supplementation or medication for that matter right or additional treatment, then absolutely one hundred percent so like one example, um I suffer from uh, seasonal depression every year and have been for years so come October November, I start putting together the protocol and this is where I pull out all the stops, right? Like So the exercise, the diet, but also the supplementation. Uh, And I remember talking to my psychologist one year, asking her, I said, should I go on antidepressants? And we kind of went through all the things I've been doing and she shrugged and she said, probably not. Because you're already doing all the things, you're probably not gonna see any improvements above and beyond that. But this is the part where it's like we check all the boxes, including supplementation. I would never start with supplementation. That's just not the biggest blocks. This is not the biggest bangs for my buck.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, it's like the big rocks, right? You know, you gotta have those big rocks before you sprinkle those pebbles in, or the sand, or the water. And so, you know, I think uh, the, the medications or supplements or biohacks or gadgets and gizmos. It's like that's that's the sand. That's the pebbles. Like if we don't have those big rocks of the, which, and that's an interesting thing with, with our industry. I think the necessity for coaches, health coaches, health professionals has never been greater. I also don't think our job has ever really been harder. I I think our, our society has really been um, conditioned, right? You know, we're, we're conditioned to consume what is, you know, kind of spoon fed to us basically through availability in the media and whatnot. And, you know, talk to your doctor about this drug today, um, which we're one of two countries in the world that, that allows that in America. Um, but that is kind of the, the thing that we're up against where a, a lot of people have gone to their medical doctor and, oh, you know, everything looks fine. There's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with you. You just need diet and exercise, the ever vague you know, diet and exercise, which then kind of leads down the road of, well, I need a personal trainer, I need a crash diet, I need to work out hard. Um, and I find a lot of that, there. there's kind of this toxic psychology soup that kind of comes from all of that. A lot of, um, you know, the the source of motivation to Uh, Begin some sort of health building program is usually out of a place of kind of self-loathing, right? Like I, I'm not good enough. I don't like myself. I don't like how I feel. Um, and I don't think a kind of negative self-perception is ever going to be like adequate fuel for the fire of growth. So I I think we as coaches have to do a lot around, um,
1: guys, I just wanted to take a moment to thank you all so much for listening to the Holistic Savage podcast. We on the Holistic Savage team all really appreciate you and want to stay connected with you. So please rate, review, and subscribe to help the podcast grow. And if you like the podcast, help get the word out. And now back to the show.
0: Um, shifting the mindset, shifting the perception, kind of reframing of uh, let's observe without judgment those self-limiting beliefs, and how can we dismantle some of those self-limiting beliefs and start building up, you know, the um, the self-belief frameworks. So that way, we can, you know, <laughs> manifest their their dreams or whatever.
1: Well, I, there's a concept in psychology called the paradox of change, mm. where um you you can hate yourself into change. Lots of people do, right? There's a lot of white knuckling involved. Normally, if you um, ever go into any commercial gym, you will see probably at least a couple of folks in there doing just that. Uh, the way to tell those folks apart is that they're on the same cardio machine every single time you go there. They do exactly 20 minutes, five days a week. They hate every single minute that they're on it, right? But they're doing it because it's, quote, unquote, good for them. Uh, I've always questioned that approach because I don't know how good it is for you truly to be doing something that you hate, honestly, right? So, and there is that paradox where, Yes, we can hate ourselves into change, but we can't really do it for a very long amount of time, nor does it feel very good during. Mm -hmm. It's just not a good feeling. And instead, and that's what the paradox of change refers to, is the more we accept ourselves the way we are, the more likely we are actually to change which is mind blowing, if Mm -hmm. you think about it, like if I want to become healthier, or if I want to, I know I'm a scrawny guy who wants to gain weight, it's actually me working on accepting myself as I am today, and rocking that, that allows me to become more flexible in whether I want to change or not. Rather than kind of like, this is horrible, you're disgusting, do this, Right. The 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 screamy yelly approach based on self loathing.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think creating that space to to see what comes up and be able to observe that to you know observe those patterns, so then you can you know kind of create that. It's like a, a brain disruption, a behavior disruption of, um, and that's what I think is really cool about psychology and neuroscience and like neuroplasticity where you know, we're starting to kind of learn a little bit more about the brain of like, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like the muscle, like we can train these neural networks to some degree of um, uh, one of my friends is a really great psychologist. And, um, you know, that's something she's big on with kind of the, the more classic trauma therapy of, Well, if we're trying to work somebody out of trauma, maybe we shouldn't always go and dwell in that kind of dark, negative, like reliving, re-experiencing, because it's kind of just like reinforcing those neural networks, kind of reinforcing those limiting beliefs. Uh, Whereas maybe if we spent more time kind of creating this new narrative and this new reframe, that's a little bit more from a place of acceptance and, and love and compassion.
1: Yeah, I have uh, conversations with clients sometimes working on identifying who says that. Mm. Right? Like who, whose voice is it? Uh, which sounds a little bit woo-woo, but it's just when you get kind of in, into that deep coaching conversation and you all of a sudden get a lot of hate back, right? Like on themselves, where they call themselves out and call themselves names. And I pause and I ask, you know, just as a person, These things that you just said about yourself, you're disgusting, you're a failure, would a kind person say that to someone? And they say, no, of course not. And I say, well, based on everything I know about you, you're actually a very kind person, are you not? They say, yeah. I say, I think all of your friends, if I asked, they would actually describe you as kind, kind, caring consider it. And they would say, yeah, absolutely. All my friends would tell you that. So if a kind person would not say those things, you are a kind person and you just said all those things, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and just assume that these things you said, they're not yours. You're not the one saying them. Somebody else is saying it and I'm curious who that is. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting one because this is where folks often start crying,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? It's, it, it, it's tough because this is where trauma can come out yeah. or really, really tough relationship can come out where parents often come up, primary caregivers come up, right? Like, that's my mom. My mom has always said that, or my dad has always said that, that's you know never good enough, or look at yourself, you have to do something about that. that's disgusting. And so um, but it can be very helpful to demonstrate that separation, to help the client separate real your inner voice from the other voices in your head. One of my favorite scenes in the movie beautiful mind do you know that movie with russell crowe so the premise being a famous mathematician who suffers from schizophrenia and in the movie he suffers from visual hallucinations so there are characters in the movie that we later find out spoiler uh, are not actually there so he has relationships with them he loves them and yet we find out that they're just a figment of his imagination now at the very end of the movie as uh the character of Russell Crowe comes out of the classroom. There is a person there letting him know that he's been nominated for a Nobel prize. And Russell Crowe grabs a student that's running by and points at the person talking to him and says, can you see him? And the student says, yes. And he lets them go. And it was just, I love that scene so much because it really just shows how we can learn to function with our own dysfunction. Mm -hmm. Because we know at that point, Russell Crowe still hears voices. He still sees things that are not there, but he developed skills that allow him to tell what things are real and what things are not. So it's not that the voices in your head are gonna go away. You may still hear you're disgusting and you're a failure, but once you call it out, once you become aware of the fact that that's not actually you, that can be incredibly liberating because you can, you can say this like, yeah, yeah, that's nice. I, I heard that before, right? Off I go doing my, my awesome thing, being my awesome self, blah, 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 blah. blah. It, it's just kind of that, that noise in the background. You can learn to push it away.
0: Mm-hmm. That's extremely powerful. I, I, I love that so much. And, uh, it made me think of the uh, the five why exercise, um, which I've joked about before. It's like sometimes I got to stop at four y's because at five or six, they start crying. And, and you know, there's, there's something to be said for that, too, of, um, you know, you have to develop that rapport and, and make them feel safe and heard and seen and understood. Because, um, you know, it's not until we create that safe space that, you know, I think people um, can become a little bit more vulnerable. And and we do, we see what kind of deep seated emotional issues or trauma might kind of start bubbling to the surface a little bit. But, um, man, I think that was such a, such a powerful point in identifying, you know, those self-limiting narratives of like, well, no, who, whose voice is that really is. And, you know, it's, it's like, if maybe if professionals spent more time kind of, pulling at the root cause of the psychological, you know, we don't have to go fishing for the root cause of the, the physiological so much, you know?
1: Yeah. It's, things fall into place oftentimes when we address the, the deep root causes. And I think folks uh, in the functional medicine field know all that all too well, right? Because it's that like finding sometimes the the missing block and that missing block is sometimes or often not calcium, right? It could be something like, um, I don't feel like I belong or I just feel like I'm an imposter on a daily basis, right? Or I feel like I'm never good enough. It It is often that story and being able to at least start to begin to retell that story, I think can be very powerful. And I think it's interesting with the five whys because even in our coaching process, we often recommend that folks start with the five whys. But I think you're onto something where uh, (laughs) people may not be there yet with you in the very, very beginning to go super deep. So I actually really like revisiting this exercise a few months in, where we have built enough of rapport and enough of relationship. To go even deeper, to go to the fifth Y or the sixth, if we need to, to that like really, really deep undercore. But I think it is valuable in the very beginning because in the traditional health and fitness space, I personally find it incredibly unfortunate that we don't question um, weight loss goals, mm-hmm. right? So when somebody comes to you and says, "So what are you trying to do?" I'm trying to lose ten pounds. Cool, off we go. It's like, but why are you trying to lose ten pounds? In order to what? So I can feel better about myself, huh? Okay. And why do you think you feel better about yourself when you're ten pounds lighter? And that's a harder question because this is not a question that people, uh, many women, often don't don't ask themselves. I mean, I I know I've talked to enough fellow coaches, and oftentimes women don't remember last time they haven't been trying to lose weight Mm -hmm. which is incredibly broken if you think about it like you you spend your entire life intentionally trying to change your body size Mm
0: -hmm.
1: sometimes successfully sometimes unsuccessfully but remember talking to a colleague who said hey I realized recently I've been trying to lose five pounds my entire life regardless of how much I weighed So she would lose some weight, she would still be after losing five pounds, she would gain some weight, she would still be trying to lose five pounds, it was just that moving target. And it can be really distracting, because all you're focused on is, is the scale. And this is part of where I often talk to my clients about bigger fish they have to fry than five pounds. And the numbers are often very specific and very arbitrary because there is no person out there who's going to significantly change their deep health through five pounds or even 15 for that matter, right? Like most of us can range 10, 20, 30 pounds in weight and be perfectly healthy and happy and functional in various ways. Now, chances are if you lose 100 pounds, you're you might notice quite a bit of change. You might get up from the floor easier. Going down the stairs might be easier. But those folks are not that common in our practice, I would say, right? The vast majority that I know I've worked with, that I see, it's this like magical number that we're after, the magical pair of pants. And I know for me over time, um, my practice has evolved from that perspective to where – Now, most of the time, I don't work with intentional weight loss. And weight loss is a side effect sometimes, kind of what you talked about when you know you work on something else and the weight falls off, right? Like so mm-hmm. through stress or through through something else. I work with an acupuncturist right now who, as a client, and we're working on shifting some of her practice uh, to virtual offerings. So she teaches meditation and qigong. Uh, so we kind of go through tools, and she's made some really big decisions in her practice, some of the biggest decisions in 20 years. Last time I saw. Her in person, she looked ten years younger and twenty pounds lighter. She has done nothing. It was just that deep health in her face. Mm -hmm. Right, so I think that's that's really powerful. We have bigger fish to fry.
0: Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I I I think that really illustrates, you know, what can happen when you're, um, you know, living your deepest truth and and living your purpose and really in that uh, deeper alignment, right. and man, I, I think this whole conversation has been so enlightening and, and powerful. Um, you know, I, I really feel that uh, this is a huge area that that needs um, more focus. I, I think the coaching skills is really—I mean—you've really shown that that the art of coaching—it's it's just as much an art as it is a science, and there's so many layers, so many dynamics to it so certainly in a world that just keeps spinning faster and faster and more instant gratification seduction here and there um, I really hope this this um, episode reaches a lot of people and and empowers them with kind of a different way to be thinking about how to approach working with people so I know you do have to um, get going but I'm just so incredibly grateful that you took the time for this conversation it was it was so fulfilling even just for me
1: Thank you so much, Brandon. It was great to be here and uh, talk to you and all the folks here.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'll keep you posted on when we release the episode, but um, an amazing conversation. And I definitely hope to stay in touch with you.
1: Me too. Thank you.
0: Awesome. Have a beautiful rest of your day, my friend.
1: You too. Be in touch. All
0: right. Sounds good. Have a good one.